Welcome to the second installment of the Rain Race podcast. Today we're going to be recapping this year's Rolex 24 at Daytona. We're going to be talking about Fernando Alonso in his 2018-2019 WEC ride. And lastly, we're going to be talking about Bathurst 12-hour predictions. I'm Chris Aurelio. This is Rain Race. Let's go. Welcome to episode two of the Rain Race podcast. I am joined here with Kyle Cuthbertson, if he'd like to introduce himself. What's up? And we're going to be starting off here today with a uh, quick Rolex 24 review. Obviously, the Rolex 24 was this past weekend. Uh, and if you're wondering why this is going up on a Thursday, I believe this will be going up on Thursday, uh, it's because earlier in the week I was sick and uh, couldn't really you know, come together and record this. So, you know, you're getting it late this week. So uh, that's really all I can say on that matter. But uh, obviously Rolex 24, like I said, this past week. And uh, we had a pretty uh, interesting race to say the least. Uh, Kyle, if you'd like to start us off here uh, on what you thought about this whole race. Uh, obviously, well, like everyone's opinions, really. Uh, it had a lot of good action. Uh, it had uh, some good battles in it. It didn't have the battle for the finish that we wanted, though. But when you look over the whole thing, it really was an endurance race, which is what the Rolex has kind of been missing for the last couple of years uh, with its uh, cautions every you know five laps, it seems, and just jumbling up the field every five seconds. You know, So this year, with only four cautions, it felt like a proper endurance race where the guy who made the least amount of mistakes uh, really won the race because... Uh, you're not really being helped by cautions uh, helping you to catch up. So uh, the five car ended up being the winner, ended up being the only guy, I believe, to not blow a tire in the prototype category. Yeah, I mean, in prototype, you really had a race of attrition. I think it seemed more um, than it actually was. Because, honestly, we didn't have too, too many retirements in the race. The biggest thing of all was the yes. tire issues. Uh, I mean, that was a really big factor in the race who could manage, obviously, the tire blowouts. And, you know, the explanation for it, we're still looking for a really clear uh, idea on what caused all of it. I think we have a little bit of uh, data to go with why it all happened. But, um, you know, that that was really, I think, the key strategy with that race was who could manage uh, the car over 24 hours. Because, I mean, we can talk about pace all day if we want, but even... The United Auto Sports Ligiers, uh, they really did have the pace to contend up front, and they were contending up front until they both had issues. So, I, I mean, that's what it all came down to, I think, in prototype. Yeah, well, I mean, the P2s obviously had a small disadvantage to the uh, to the rest. The Acres and the Cadillacs really looked like the stars of the show. The Cadillacs still had the acceleration, and the Acres had the top speed, so that's going to be a fun battle throughout the season, just kind of slide that in there. But, uh, yeah, the the fact that Wayne Taylor had so many blowouts, I think it came to either five or seven. I've heard two numbers on Twitter. Uh, they had five or seven blowouts, and that was why they retired. The fact that they retired because they had so many blowouts, that's, that's how you know there was a huge problem. And uh, like we said, one prototype, I guess, did not have an issue, and that's that's how it came down. I mean, talking pace, the Cadillacs, I mean, they had him beat. The five car, he did lead all day. Uh Another thing is we uh, engine issues for the Cadillacs too. That's the thing I forgot too. The 31 and the five at the end of the race had issues, and I believe the 90 car 
uh, retired because of an engine issue. I'm pretty sure that was an engine issue. Uh, yeah, it was. And actually, I mean, that's something you have to look at as well because Cadillac with engine issues really last season, they were bulletproof. That's unheard of. Yeah, they were bulletproof last year and they came into this race and... It's really interesting. They were bulletproof last year. I, this might actually be one of the first times I've seen them have an engine issue. And it's, uh, yeah, prototype is definitely the most interesting category. Uh, for some reason, I uh, didn't get enough action in GTD. They didn't show enough. Oh, well, the only drama really was the Land Audi. It's, that's all we got to talk about there. GTLM, do we have to talk about GTLM? Because the, the Ford led all but, the Fords led all but 10 laps. And actually, at 10 laps, didn't the other Ford? Or is it just Ford combined? No, it was Ford combined because... Ford combined led all but 10 laps. The four car, the number four Corvette led a couple of laps, and um, one of the Porsches, I believe the 911, led some laps as well. Don't quote me on that. I believe it was a 911 Porsche. All I know for a fact is the Fords led all but 10 laps. You know, we can look at Ford. They had a little bit of a pace advantage, a couple tenths here and there every lap. Um, but they, along with Corvette, pretty much had the most flawless race they could, except the 67 did have an issue. Um, I, it was something with the brakes, I believe, uh, in the first couple hours of the race, but you look at the stint that Ryan Briscoe put in at the very end, the last stint he had, that was one of, I think, the drives to look back on in the future. You look at Antonio Garcia at Sebring, and you look at um v lander at bathurst last year i think you're going to be looking and remembering briscoe's driving the final stint to daytona because not only did they chase down the 66 car they passed it and they pulled out a quite a large margin in the last hour or so um and ford did say that they uh underfueled the 67 car compared to the 66 so they were running quite a bit lighter but you know still you have to applaud ryan briscoe for the drive at the end there yeah, I even read. I read an article today. Um, it was on Racer, and they said the Corvette. It was about the Corvette. Although they had a flawless race, it was not. They still didn't have the pace of the Fords, which you know, that's what we saw. The three car did have a flawless race. I'm pretty sure the four car did too. But they did the four car have a flawless race? I can't remember, but I know the three car definitely for sure did. And uh, Corvette said that they knew that they were going to have a pace disadvantage. To the Fords, because uh, the thing about the the Fords is they knew you know Ford was fastest in the roar, they were fastest in practice, and you know Corvette said when they adjust the BOP, they they pretty much knew they were going to be about four tenths behind, and that's what they were. So they knew what they were doing. Uh, they were really just backing on the Fords having a a, a problem. Which is, yeah, that's what Corvette does. They, uh, here's the thing about endurance racing is this is what Corvette said in the article that uh, it's pretty much this, what you got to know in endurance racing. Sometimes they said that they have been more successful being the slower car than the faster car, and that's that's what endurance racing is. Uh, that's what it's about, you know. Got 24 hours and it just happened that the Fords ran a perfect race, and so did the Corvettes, which it's crazy. Honestly, about perfect the, 24 hours. The part that I found the most interesting was the pit stop differential timing on uh, the Ford versus Corvette because uh, the number 66 Ford, not the 67 because they did have that issue earlier in the race, but the 66 Ford 
ran something around five minutes less in the pits than the number three car. So you do have to look at, and I do know for a fact that both Corvettes made two more pit stops than both Fords. So maybe you have to look at, you know, tire wear, which car was better on tire wear. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was just, it was an interesting race. And I do think that the cautions made it look like the race was uh, further apart than it actually was compared to recent years because you mentioned earlier the cautions. I mean, 2017, we had over 20. I don't know an exact number, but I do know we had over 20. And that's why at the very end of the race, you had battles in every single class, uh, you know, maybe barring PC, but uh, you had battles <coughs> in every single class because there was a caution with 20 minutes to go. And, you know, keeping all the cars bunched up, it's pretty much inevitable that you're going to have a close finish. It's like NASCAR sports car racing, really. Oh, I mean, without the artificial yellows, yeah. Without, yeah, without the without the stages, no. man, and the points for the yellow flags as well. Well, mean, they did get points every six hours, uh, but they for, didn't yeah, throw a yellow, did cup, they? Yeah, they? Oh, but yeah, that's uh, the smart I mean, way to do it, kids. We can't there you talk go. about NASCAR in this though. <clears> this is the rain, rain racing, racing podcast. podcast. They don't race in the rain. Correct. <laughs> Lastly, GTD though. Um, I mean, how much is there to say. talk about? The biggest thing to talk about in GTD is the land Audi penalty, which we don't have all the story words about. So, can, we, can I just say that that is still the dumbest penalty that I have ever seen in a race? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see Land just say because they were planning on a full season entry from everything we've seen. I wouldn't be surprised if they just said, "Yeah, you know what? Maybe not a great idea anymore. Maybe we'll." Uh, Keep yeah, that's, our attention to Europe. That's the, that's the thing about it, too. That that might possibly uh, ruin them a, another entry. Um, to do that in the middle of the race, I just don't, I don't like that at all. I, I mean, if you found something and then you penalized them after the race and you had, um, the right evidence to prove that they were you know, cheating or they were ahead in BOP of what they wanted. And if you could do that after the race and not in the middle of the race and ruin their chances and uh, just change the whole complexity of the race in that class, I, I don't think doing it in the middle of the race was the best decision. If it was a right decision or a wrong decision, I don't think doing that in the middle of the race, that I don't think that works. And it was, what was it? It was like a fueling issue. They were fueling too fast or whatever. Uh, yeah, I believe it was a fuel restrictor. The size of the fuel restrictor, how fast fuel goes into the car. And what's his name? Like, Peter Barron was like the... Yep. He even said that they had all... IMSA checks this before the race, and they passed, they passed solid. And after the race, they passed. The restrictions that they had to have... See, I don't know all about it, but he even said that they had them all... They were passed before the race cleared to go and after the race. But it was just in the middle of the race. They were fueling faster, I guess, than what IMSA uh, wanted them to be or, like, the benchmark that they set and the BOP restrictions or whatever. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's confusing. It sucks. It's It ruined Land's race where they were probably going to win. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. I mean, like, talking about the winner... In GTD, though, um, hats off to the number 11 Lamborghini crew. They really got the job done. Uh, Last the, of first. One of the uh, European invasion teams uh, coming over and proving that they uh, have a hand in American sports car racing as well. But great job by all those drivers and the team to get that job done. Um, 
you know, they pretty much, from what I saw, ran the flawless race, and you really do have to pat them on the back for that result. Oh, and that, and that quote-unquote, I don't even know if it's probably not even choreographed, but the choreographed finish at the end of the other Lambo. No, I'd say that was finished. <laughs> I, I mean, I'd say that that was a little bit staged for the Lamborghini uh, social made media a good picture. And I, I, yeah. uh, I salute them for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got, we got to move on, though. Now, going on, hey, let me do this. Now, we just talked about GTD, which is a GT3 class. Now, moving on to next weekend's race, a well, lot of guys. I was going to bring up Fernando first. Oh, so, Fernando? how does that work? Well, then, talk about Fernando. Jeez, ruin my, kill my vibe, man. Sports car racing. Like, See where I was going sports there? Sports car racing to sports car racing. That's how it rolls, but I'm the director man. of this, and you probably shouldn't so, uh, try to take let's it Let's talk about Fernando. His car, uh blew a tire the oh, I'm not Lando talking about Norris. Fernando in that sense I'm talking about WEC Fernando oh yeah I forgot that, that Fernando right yeah. Alonzo and WEC racing full-time actually full-time with an asterisk next to it um in the eight car uh, eight Toyota TS050 <laughs> that announcement came out of nowhere pretty much we did really see him and the possibility of him running Lamar but the chance of not really chance anymore, but the uh, fact that he's now running at least the full 2018 part of the super season, except for Fuji because it clashes with um, the US. I thought he was. I thought they said he was going to run the whole thing. I like. I, I'm pretty sure. I, I never saw anything about him skipping Fuji. Uh, well, it hasn't been confirmed officially, but I'm assuming that if McLaren is going to let him even run in WEC, they're going to call the shots on what races he does and doesn't run. And unless we see any sort of massive Honda-esque era where they're just completely uncompetitive, I don't see any reason why they're going to pull them out of F1. But, I mean, the only thing I saw it was um, the ACO possibly trying to move the um, Japanese six-hour race in Fuji to the same weekend as Petit Le Mans, which would allow Alonso to run um, at Fuji, but at the same time would screw all those drivers who want to run Petit Le Mans and run Fuji, so... Yeah, they got a That's little bit kinda... of a difficult decision. If I'm honest, they better keep it on the date it's on because yeah, yeah, you shouldn't be screwing over all those other drivers who run want to run Petite as well. So, does sound like something they do with this uh, whole. Well, yeah, I mean that FIA bias, of course, because it's FIA yeah. to an FIA series, not to IMSA, which is technically a rival. But well, we'll but... see what happens. <laughs> I mean, nobody knows what they're going to do right now, but we'll see what happens. But. Uh, back to the whole Alonzo announcement, though, since we've gotten sidetracked twice now. Um, you know, he's in a competitive car, and at least right now, unless F1 schedules over Le Mans 2019, he has two confirmed uh, reds at Le Mans now, one for 2018 and one for 2019, in a competitive car. Uh, mm-hmm. And we do know the whole, they want to equalize the non-hybrid privateers with the hybrid Toyota, but regardless he's still in a factory car so he's definitely going to have a shot at the race um we'll see though because toyota's reliability in races especially lamar has been mediocre in the past and alonzo's reliability uh, in the past uh, maybe four years or so three four years has been mediocre so combine the two and you'll see what you get yeah you know with toyota lamar i don't uh see them having any issues next year i mean they could but after last year, I don't see it. I think they were they were way too embarrassed. Since there's no Porsche or Audi or any hybrid 
um, LMP1 teams, do you think they dial it back a little bit? Is what I'm thinking. Um, well, it depends think? how much IMSA, or not IMSA, WEC balances the privateers, like I said, because right now they want to make the cars equal, at least as equal as possible. And it won't be an easy task by any means because the hybrids just have so much power to put down. But, I mean, it all depends. If they see at Spa, oh, look at the privateers are a couple seconds back. You can dial it down a little bit. Then I don't see any reason why they wouldn't. Uh, at the same point, though, if the privateers really surprise everyone at Spa and are just running the same pace as Toyota, then Toyota really has their hands tied because there are some good privateers joining. They can't really afford to just say, yeah, we'll let them crash. We'll let them, you know, fall out of the race with some issues. They really will have their hands tied, and they'll have to keep the cars dialed up. Yeah, for sure. And um, the whole Fernando deal was really surprising. And uh, the main thing I take out of it is he has two Lamar starts to play with here. Not just one. He's got two. And uh, if he wants to do the Triple Crown, this is his best opportunity. Uh, hopefully next year he can do Indy 500 and Lamar in the same year. That'd be pretty sweet, right? And uh, is that the biggest surprise that he has to Lamar or that he's running the full season? Because I don't think anybody on earth expects him to do the full season. Full season, for sure. Because, you know, Lamar was, that was already, he said before the Rolex that there's a 50-50 chance at it. But, I mean, people were reporting back in November that he would be racing with Toyota at Lamar. So, for sure, I think the full season announcement is a bigger surprise. And, you know, it just so happens to work out that with the WEC super season, like I said, at least unless uh, F1 schedules a race over Le Mans 2019, um, he has two confirmed rides at Le Mans, which is great. Yeah, D David Land was, I uh, guess, he was uh, trying to say that Alonzo wanted to do the uh, full IndyCar season, but... Uh, Turns out he's doing the full WEC season before he, before he does IndyCar. <laughs> that's kind of ironic. Uh, I don't think. That's I mean, I, I, he had to have been lying because before Daytona, <laughs> he said, "Oh, there's a fifty-fifty chance. You know, it may happen. It may not." He knew. <laughs> he knew that he was going to be racing at Le Mans because, uh, you know, Toyota may not have confirmed it officially, but they already knew uh, what was coming for him with the test he had back in November. Um, and how much he's hyped running prototypes lately, it was pretty much a given at this point. Um, and like I said, the reports back in November, there hasn't been a day since where I've said, well, maybe that's not so true because, you know, you just have to look at the evidence of what he's been doing lately and it's not really a surprise whatsoever. More F1 teams should be allowing the drivers to do what Fernando's doing. Because it, it, it just helps motorsport in general, all the way around. And uh, once again, like I said in the first episode, F1... Did I say this in the first episode? I think I did. Uh, the F1 people in their little F1 bubble uh, don't realize there's other forms of racing. And if those other forms of racing uh, go downhill, then uh, they're going to go downhill too. Uh, motorsport in general, just everybody. The, the, the more... See, like... The more one grows, the more other will grow on top of it. It it all works in a circle. And if Alonzo keeps going from F1 to place to place, everywhere is going to grow. And it just helps the whole automobile industry. It helps everything. To have this sort of promotion, this 
uh, type of uh, marketing, per se. Maybe motorsport industry, not automobile as a whole. Automobile. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of manufacturers in motorsport. I'm pretty sure motorsport has a big impact on well, a lot yeah, of but automobiles, Chris. It's a lot more <laughs> on motorsports than just the automobile industry. Yeah. Because, eh. All I mean, of I'd, it. I'd say 90% of the general popula- pop- population won't give a <laughs> flying shit that Alonzo is running at Lamar. They don't care. They don't know who he is. Um, but, yeah, maybe in well, Europe mm, a little bit more. Yeah, than yeah Europe. But, Europe needs to see. Yeah, this is just American coming out of me. Europe needs to see the type of racing that we put out. <laughs> Indy 500, baby. Yeah. Rolex 24, baby. Well, yeah. Sebring, baby. We got to. Oh, what is, are you talking about races? Is that a good segue to our next topic here? Is it? Because the Bathurst 12 Hours is this weekend, at least if you're I thought my to segue this. was better earlier, but I, okay. It was, but you know what? We can't, you know, we got an order of priorities here. We got to follow the order. Uh, Bathurst 12 Hour, though. This weekend, if you're listening to it when it's released, um, if you're in the United States, you can stream it on the Nismo TV YouTube channel. Thank you, Nissan. Yeah, even though they're not even racing. They're still they're not. It. No, they're not because they're working on the 2018 car. That's garbage. But uh, don't get to see Godzilla out there. Yeah, that's true. But but uh, if you're in Europe or Asia or Australia, maybe uh, I'm sure Australia has it televised, but I'm not sure. Um, I believe GT World on YouTube will be streaming it. They usually do the big GT races, but don't quote me on that. I will leave some streaming info in the description down below if you're watching on youtube and if you're listening on uh itunes or google play because we go big time uh big time. then i don't know look at my youtube channel youtube.com slash c slash deductive rain and it's in the link uh in the description i should say but yeah. bathurst 12 hour predictions because this is always one of the biggest gt3 races of the year it's always a fantastic race to tune into if you're a sports car racing fan uh, we're not going to go as far in depth as the Rolex 24 prediction. Can I do a piece of my segue because you ruined it? I'm going to ruin what you just said. But... Is this segue going to bother you for the entire episode? Yeah, yeah. man. Then, then get it done. So going from Daytona last weekend to Bathurst this weekend, we were talking about GTD, which is GT3, and a lot of drivers, I mean, yeah, yeah, most of them run GTD. I was thinking there might be some in GTD, but most in GTD. Uh, you got guys, Chris Ramiz, he was in the Land Audi, Robin Friend. Yeah, that's a prototype guy. There we go. He was with uh, uh, Jackie, Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan. Um, oh, wait, 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 wait. Kevin might be watching this. Joda. Oh, it's Joda. My bad. Uh, Tim O'Glock. I'm just naming some names that are in this race that you might know to get you interested. Um, Brazil. Anybody? Uh, Craig Lowndes, Shane Van Gisberg. And you might, you might know them, but you probably not. That's more of a Bathurst kind of thing. Uh, no, lots of supercars in general. If you're Australian, you know them. Oh, yeah. Well, if you're Australian, you know about this race already. Uh, and then if you're American and you follow IndyCar or NASCAR, uh, Kenny Abul and Tristan Vodier will be driving the Sun Energy 1 uh, Mercedes. So there's your there's the bandwagon car immediately if anybody watches this race. Uh, Jamie Wincup is also oh, in that car. If you're a Supercars fan. Yeah, if you're a Supercars fan, Jamie Wincup, uh, the OG. And then so uh, you're a fan of in supercars because pretty much all the supercar drivers are racing. And then if you paid attention to IMSA, uh, the uh, Porsches, uh, you have Earl Bamber, Lawrence Vantour, Kevin Estray, Romain Dumas, Dirk Werner, and uh, Frederick Ma- Makowiecki. So pretty much all of those guys we've seen in IMSA 
over the past year, I believe. So, right. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Or WWE. You go into the other categories. Uh, the biggest name, really, in the other categories would be uh, Scott McGolfin or Matthew Brabham. Um, most people probably know Matthew Brabham. And uh, so those are the guys to know. And uh, a lot of these guys coming from Daytona last week and uh, Bathurst uh, this weekend. You know who this race is missing, though? Patrick Long. He usually does shit like this. No, I thought wow. I saw him on the entry list. I swear I did. I didn't think I did. He'd be in a Porsche, and he's not in a Porsche. Was well, he in a Porsche. Pro-Am car? I swear I saw his name. I did not. Usually he does everything, so that's weird if he's not doing it. What is he? Isn't he like the uh, ginger assassin? or Something like that. He's ginger something. No, Patrick Long's racing in the... Um, number 12, uh, competition motorsports Porsche in the Pro-Am category. I knew I saw his name. There. Okay, so then Patrick Long. Hey, so th- th- that's my Pro-Am pick. There we go. <laughs> well, what about your Pro oh, yeah, pick? Because that's really all we're doing for this race. Pro pick? Uh, do I go for the bandwagon car or do I go for... Oh, man. Uh... Number 991 Porsche. Kevin Estre, Lawrence Van Tour, and Earl Bamber. I was so close. It was between the 37 Audi um, and uh, that Team WRT, the Robin Friend car, and the, uh, just because I like the Audis, the sound, or the uh, Porsche. And I went with the Porsche. uh, I could go with either Porsche, really. It doesn't matter to me, but... I just like Lawrence Vantour more than all the others. Well, shit, because I was going to pick that car, but now I can't. Um, so we're going to have Loser. to go, We're going to have to go with the Let's see what I'm going to say the number 43 BMW BMW team Schnitzer. We've got Augusto Farfus, Chad Mostert, a uh, supercars driver. Pretty good one by the way. Um, up there and Marco Whitman, another pretty uh, talented GT3 driver. So you've got the whole bunch you got the guys who know bathurst like chad muzzy uh, and you got the good gt3 drivers who already have done a lot of races with bmw so they know what they're doing and uh yeah it sounds like a good pick to me yeah i just went for uh guys that i knew but uh quick little lad wasn't shane van gisbergen in a mercedes last year uh yeah he was in the one battling at the finish with the ferrari well, cool little no he's in a mclaren this year so that's sweet and Craig Lowndes are in a car, so I think he's going to be one to watch for this weekend, as he always is in Bathurst. Like Yo, I've Craig seen. Craig Lowndes? Uh, Van Gisbergen. Oh, Van Gisbergen. And Craig, and Craig Lowndes is in the same car as him, so that's kind of like a... Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah, Triple that cars, Triple that car is, teammates uh, in uh, supercars. Another guy I missed out on that ran GTD in Daytona, Al, Alvaro Parente. He was in the... Wasn't he in the NSX? Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah, so he came from Daytona one week to Australia the next. Pretty cool. That's that's crazy. You go from 24 hours one week into 12 the next. That's you got to be committed right there. All the way across the uh, world as well. Yeah. But uh, I think that's going to be enough to wrap it up for this episode, unless you have any closing words. Uh, no, that was actually longer than I think we wanted to. Um, well, it was about you know 30 hof- minutes. That's that's. Hopefully, good. this is the uh, last time we talk about Fernando in a while because it's. Oh, Fernando, you are you're such a new story, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he goes around a lot. to see about that one. But um, I'm not so sure about an episode this coming up Monday. We'll have to see how much news there is. 
Uh, if not, though, it's going to be the following Monday. I already determined after just one podcast that it's not going to be a weekly thing because, surprisingly, it actually does take a lot of effort to uh, edit these things down. And if there's not a lot of news a certain week, then I don't really see any point in doing one. So uh, just keep uh, in touch with the channel or subscribe to the podcast, like I said, on Google Play or iTunes. And uh, if we do release a podcast, unless it's a situation like this week where I was sick, they will be released on a Monday. So stay tuned for those in the future. But anyways, guys, I appreciate you turning uh, tuning into this Rain Race podcast episode two. And we'll see you in the next one.